0: Amen. What's up Vertical? Everybody doing well this morning? Man, I'm really excited that we're all in one room together. I know this is going to take a little bit of getting used to. Some of you are having to get up a little earlier than you used to. It's fine. The clock's change next week, I think. So yeah. yeah, we'll be good. It's all good. I'm excited that we're all here together this week because honestly, we're getting to some important stuff this morning. All right, we've got a lot of work to do and a lot of heavy lifting to do this morning. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Everybody up. We need to do some stretches. Everybody's okay. We're jumping into a new series called Clout, and I need you to know this is going to be incredibly important for where we are going, not only in the coming weeks, but also in the coming year. We're rounding the corner on 2022, and this is kind of our attempt to set our sights on the types of people and the types of lives that we're going to be leading in the next year, all right? And so going into this series, I need you to know this is not going to be an easy series for people who are a little um, adverse to intentionality. This isn't going to be one of those series where we can parachute in for a few weeks and we hop back out and there's no action that we have to take after it, okay? Okay. We really, really believe that through series like this, God is leading us into an active posture, and there are things that we get to do in light of the scripture that we are going to be looking at over the next few weeks. So, are we ready? Everybody's good? I need you to know on the front end that these are the types of series that really get me excited. I love a series like this, a series where we get to focus on one section of scripture over a few weeks. A series where we get to focus on one man and his story and the way that God interacted with him and the way that he is probably trying to interact with us in light of that. I love series like this. This is the part of my job that I really, really like. Do you have that part of your job? I was thinking about this. I don't know if everybody feels this way, but on Thursday night when there's nothing but crappy football on, I'm thinking about this. I don't know if that's you. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe you're a teacher like my wife and you're like, I really enjoy teaching long division or... If you're, you know, I don't know, maybe you're in the medical field and you're like, this procedure, this is the one that I really, I don't know if everybody has that, but this week, this is what I've been excited for getting into this because I love to look at the scripture in light of stories. You know, we, we believe that a person's story He has the ability to present a case for Christ that just academic knowledge of the scripture doesn't give us. And we know that because of what's taken place in this room and in the relationships in this room. Stories and the way that God interacts with our story is incredibly powerful. And that's what we get to look at. We get to look at the way that God sets the narrative for somebody's life and how we other people experience God through that. That's why we love a story here. In the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the story of a man named John. Now, you're, you're going to be familiar with John, and I'm, I'm going to tell you which John, okay, because it's, it's John the Baptist, all right, JTB was his rap name, and there are lots of John's in the Bible, but we're going to be focusing on this one for the next few weeks. And man, his story is one that, like, you kind of can swing into and you get a few chapters and you're like, wow, this is kind of weird. Like, I think he was kind of like an influencer, but also he's really like gritty and, and like, I don't know, he ate honey, it was weird. His story, the start of his story where we are this week, is so important, not only for what we can gain from that, but for the whole arc of Scripture. He was talked about in Isaiah and Malachi way back in the Old Testament. He's spoken of at the end of the Bible as well. He was the person, the hero before the hero. He's so important to, his his person is so important to Scripture. And a person like John the Baptist is very, very rare. This personality type, the type of man that you have to be to do what he did, is so rare. And so as we get into his story today, we're just gonna kind of pick that apart. Where were his beginnings? What was said about John before John even was? And what does that mean for us? How can we begin to look like that in our everyday life? You know, very recently I've been reading a book and I've identified another one of these men. It's, been a, it's a memoir of sorts. It's, it's a book about a man who passed several years ago and his friends are describing him. And in studying for John in this series that we're calling Clout, reading this book, I'm like, that's, that's that kind of guy. That's the kind of man that John had to be. This book, it's called Trillion Dollar Coach, and I don't know if you've read it, but it's about a man named Bill Campbell, and I am fascinated with Bill, okay? You guys know that I get on these kicks for a couple of months, and I'm like, yeah, endurance running, and, and this guy's a coach, and I like him now, you know, and you bear with me, and I appreciate that. But Bill Campbell was this kind of guy, and he reminds me so much of John because he was so well acquainted with his purpose, He was well acquainted with his God-given giftings and he said, this is enough for me to base my entire life on. When you jump into this book, Trillion Dollar Coach, you actually start in the first few pages and you're at Bill's funeral. Weird place to start a book. And you're surrounded by 2,000 other people and it's not the amount of people that stands out to you. It's the faces in the crowd that you see. You see other people who worked with Mr. Jobs at Apple. You see Bill and Melinda Gates. You see those Google boys who started the company. And all of these people are there, not just saying good things about Bill, but that Bill was their best friend. You see, Bill sat on all of these boards of all these tech giants over the years, not just as someone who was bringing life to their company or bringing good ideas, but he was coaching these men. Bill's giftings were to sit with someone one-on-one and tell them how they could be better leaders, not only at these massive companies, but how they could be better leaders in their families, how they could be better types of people. He knew that he wasn't going to be the guy on the top, but he was going to influence those people without ever calling himself an influencer. And this book has meant a lot to me over the past couple of weeks as I've been digging into his life, It's kind of funny when people talk about Bill, they said that he was a really unlikely leader. He was a football coach back in the 70s at Boston College. And they said it's kind of weird, he probably threw around a few too many F-bombs, but at the same time made you feel like the, the number one thing in his life at that moment was sitting with you at that table and making you a better purpose. Bill was well acquainted with his Purpose. And I'm curious going into this morning because this is where we're going to be getting to in the book of Luke today. Do you know what that purpose is for you? I want us to go ahead and get our mindsets there before we ever dig into the scripture today because we're going to be leaning that way all morning and asking ourselves questions about this. Do you know what your life's task is? Some of us are maybe yes, some of us are maybe no, but it's something that I've been thinking a lot about in light of both Bill Campbell and John, who we're going to be speaking about in the next few weeks. I believe that looking at this story, beginning in chapter 1 of Luke, that if you look at John, he was very well acquainted with his purpose. Nothing more, nothing less. This is the type of man that he was, and he knew why he was on earth And actually, when we look at his story, you realize that God set this into motion long before he took his first breath. Now, I'm going to jump into Luke chapter 1 in a minute. As we begin in the beginning chapters of Luke, when we kind of dig into it, we see that God was already marking things on the life of John before there were really blocks in his calendar to fill. I used to think that this was because John was going to play a really important role. If you know anything about John the Baptist, he would have been the cousin of Jesus, right? And you have this really beautiful moment at the beginning of Luke where John's mother Elizabeth and Jesus' mother Mary are just excited because they both have these crazy, miraculous babies that are about to be born. And I used to think, well, God was really intentional with John's life because John had a big job. But when we dig in in Luke chapter 1 in a moment, I think you will see these are character traits of God that we see all throughout Scripture. It wasn't just with the most important people. Sometimes we see God laying the track for people that are only going to be mentioned for two or three verses in the Bible. What this tells me is that God has not changed over time. God has been intentional for a long time when it comes to the way that he orchestrates our lives. Now, when we get into John, or sorry, Luke, chapter one, we're introduced to a man there named Zechariah. Say Zechariah. Zechariah. Okay, I'm just making sure we're awake. This is good. If we did a spelling bee, could you spell it? Not me. Zechariah is just been appointed to a very important job. In fact, he's probably like shaking a little. He's, he's a little nervous. That, that thing that when you're about to come to the most pivotal part of your career, that's where he was, okay? I get this sometimes side stage, a little, and and John is, or Zechariah has just been appointed to the most important part of his entire career. You see, Zechariah was a priest. He had been set aside as a holy person who was supposed to interact with God on behalf of the Israelite people. You see, back in the day, they didn't get together in big rooms with gray chairs. That's not really how they did that. Their churches would have been designed a little bit differently. There would have been layers to it. And the holiest of these priests would be appointed to go into the last layer of their temple, which is where God resided. And it was different priests at different times, and and it happened in different ways. But at the end of the day, where we jump into John's story here with his father, Zechariah, he had just been told, hey, you're the man right now. You're going in to commune with God on behalf of all of us. And something happens here. I don't think Zechariah knew, there's no way Zechariah knew this, but in his preparing to go into this holiest place in the temple, he was actually about to start this whole system moving along that would break the system that they had been living in for thousands of years to this point. The moment that Zechariah Zechariah entered into this holy place, everything was about to change. Everything was about to change. This was the first step, of the coming Messiah that would be Jesus. This is incredibly important. And it was also about to change his own life. You see, whenever we, whenever we see Zechariah jump into this room, he's on the ground floor of God's plan to save his people from this system they've been in for forever. And I'm so excited to get into this. Starting in verse 11, it says this. As he enters the room, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. A lot like what happened with Mary standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled, you know, like you do, and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Hey, don't be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth is going to bear you a son and you are to call him John. See, what you need to know is that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were very, very old and they've been struggling with fertility issues for a long time. So not only is this angel speaking into the future of his people, but first he's directly speaking to Zechariah's need. Important point there about the way God operates. Your son, he's going to be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Now, anyone here who knows the joy of having children or the sadness of fertility issues knows how, even much more than I do, actually, how insane this information has to be to Zechariah. It's too good to be true. Not only is everything that he's ever wanted about to come into the fruition that he's actually about to have a baby, let alone a son, but this son is going to be a pride point for all of his people. In Jewish culture, whenever we look at this, this kind of prenatal commitment to be sober, that's not just because God's like, hey, don't drink. He's saying, you're actually going to be set aside for something. You have a purpose, and it's bigger than you. If you look back in the Old Testament, you see this happen with people like like Samson and Judges. Basically, what's happening here is this angel is saying to Zechariah, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be very, very important. You don't even know how important he's going to be. Now, it's really important for me to take a moment here to be very clear about something that the Bible seems intent on communicating to us, okay? We're cool with mixing in a little application with Bible this morning? Everybody Good. It's interesting how much this sort of thing comes up in the Bible, and I think this is a perfect point place to point this out. There's a reason that we consistently see stories like this of the most important characters in Scripture beginning before their birth. And that is to highlight the incredible amount of intentionality that God brings into his creative process. You see, for us to gain anything out of the story of John coming in the next few weeks, we have to start with this point. God's version of care for us comes with a calling. God's version of care, not just for John, not just for the people in the pages of the Bible, God's version of care for us comes with a calling. You see, we believe here at Vertical, just for a little bit of a vision point, that over time, God has not changed. God was intentional in the very beginning in Genesis whenever he created everything and whenever he created people and designed us very, very intentionally. And at the same time, he's designed each and every one of us with the same amount of intentionality. It has not changed over the past 2,000 years. This means that whenever he was putting you together together, He knew not only that you were gonna come in in a template like a lot of other people with ears and femurs and things like that, but he knew that you were gonna have certain giftings. You were going to be good at certain things. He was eventually going to partner you with somebody that was good at other things to really enhance your ability to be good at the things you're good at. He knew that you would have a certain temperament. He knew that you would struggle with certain things. But whenever he was putting you together, much like John, it's not just that he gave you certain giftings, it's that he had a purpose for you from the beginning. You have a life's task that God charged you with before you ever entered this world. And just as we see God calling this out in John's life, that is the same for you. And so I wonder... How often do we consider this? How often do we consider on a weekly basis when we're going through our to-do lists or or whatever mode of operations you go through on a weekly basis, yes, we're checking this off, yes, we're checking this off. How well acquainted are we with our life's task, that purpose that God had gifted you? How well acquainted are you with that life's task for your spouse or your friends or the people that you love or or your kids? Man, it couldn't have been more perfect timing, but as I was coming into the room earlier, I had a dad of one of our students talk to me about the things that he's excited about that he is experiencing spiritually within his daughter. That is beautiful. That is beautiful that he's so well acquainted with his kids and he knows that she's progressing spiritually and he was saying, please keep that going. I hope we're all like that. I hope we're all enjoying that type of relationship with the people that we love, that we don't just know their personality, but we know the way God has gifted them and the reason he's gifted them that way. God designed each of us for something. Don't shortchange that plan. Investigate what that means for you and investigate what that means for the people around you. Okay, I'll keep going to the Bible. Sorry, I just had to go there for a second. Unfortunately, what we see in Zechariah is as he's learning this lesson There's a bit of a stopgap there. There's a bit of a roadblock. You see, I think that it's probably like a lot of the stories that we hear either in this room or out in the lobby where some of us have experienced so much pain over time that we have a real hard time believing that something good can come out of our situation. Maybe we've experienced so much hardship that that pushes the ability to believe that God can be good to us past our limits, and that's exactly where we see Zechariah. He was an old man saying that his prayers were going to be answered really late in life, and Zechariah questioned God's messenger. You know, he, he it was a mistake, and we know it was a mistake. But he questioned him and said, "I don't I don't know that this can actually be true." And because of that, Zechariah fell mute. He couldn't speak. Imagine him coming out of this temple, this church, the holiest place that he could be where everyone knew he was supposed to be interacting with God, and he came out and he could not speak. It had to be crazy. This is a weird thing in the Bible, but it is what happened. And we see Zechariah go back to his wife, and, and over time, it's very clear that Elizabeth, his aging wife, has become pregnant, a miracle, but he can't speak to her about this. I'm sure this was a source of pain for him. But as the months went on and that day finally arrived, a baby came and they did have a son. I want to jump back into where where it picks up in verse 57. It says, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared in her joy, just like that messenger said. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. Isn't it weird that that's when they named him? It doesn't matter. Anyway. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is going to be called John. And they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. And then they made signs to his father, Zechariah, to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was set free, and he began to speak, praising God. This is such a weird story. This is one of those Bible stories that you're like trying to tell your kids, and you're like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, it's weird. But we need to pause and make sure that we're, we're, we're actually understanding the weight of what is taking place here in this moment. Because it isn't just one of those weird Bible stories where there was a guy that was mute and then he followed the angel's like direction. You're like, yeah, if an angel showed up and said, name your kid this, I would probably name my kid that. But this is bigger for Zechariah. You see, Zechariah was a priest. He was a pro at the Bible back in the day, okay? He was like been. And so, like, he was really, really good at this. And at this moment, he would have known just enough about the Bible to get him into trouble. And so when this angel is talking about his son and the type of person that he would be and what his direction was going to be in life, it would have rung a bell for Zechariah. And he would have said, oh, no, no, no. I remember this from Isaiah. I remember this from Malachi. He would have said internally, his real questioning to this angel is, so you're telling me I'm going to have a son, and you're also telling me he's going to be the hero before the hero that we've been waiting on. Zechariah didn't just have a hard time believing that he was going to have a child. I don't think that he could really accept exactly how much God was including him in his overall plan. And this brings up something very interesting for us. It's another point that if you're one of those note takers, I would suggest note take this and journal on it later. It isn't necessarily that God is just calling us into something, but what we need to grasp is that God is at work before he ever puts his people to work. God is at work before he ever puts his people to work. When we look at Zechariah here Mm -hmm. in this moment where he's able to speak and and probably crying and rejoice with his wife after this baby that they've wanted for a long time. It wasn't just that he was able to accept that God could invest this much into his family, but that he had been planning this, that moment with Zechariah and his baby boy for hundreds and thousands of years. God's intentionality in that moment could not be overstated and it is the exact same for you and for me. God has been at work in the story that our life intersects with for just as much time as he was working on John's story there in Luke chapter 1. And this is an important point to bring up. God is at work before he puts his people to work. What does that mean for us? It means that, yes, there's going to be application, and we're going to get to that in just a second. There are going to be some key things that we can take away and go home, but maybe for just a minute we need to sit in the fact that God was planning on you. And he knew where you were going to be, and he knew where you were going to be last night and two weeks ago and a month ago, and when that really hard thing happened last year or back in 2020, he knew all of that was going to happen, and yet he is still orchestrating this plan like John to bring something beautiful out of that in in your life. And so getting into this kind of application part for this morning, because I only have so much time, and to be honest, I don't want to leave this in in an ethereal place or a really ambiguous place, I think we need to just kind of sit for a second in this. You know, usually when Ben and I give these talks, we want one of three things to kind of land the plane, right? You kind of end in one of three ways. It's typical, like, preacher crap. (laughs) And this is the way that it kind of goes. Like, usually whenever we do this, I'm like, hey, I want you to be able to do one of three things. I want you to either walk away knowing something new I either want you to walk away with a new type of thing to try and be, the type of person that you can be, or I want you to go away with an objective to do, okay? No, be, do. The beautiful thing about John's story, and boy, we're about to hammer this for like three more weeks, is this. All three of those things apply. All three of those things apply, even just to chapter one of Luke There's something that you can know going into this. There's something that you can try and be. And there's something that I'm working really hard to do personally, and it is this. Do not allow yourself or your people to go misnamed. Do not allow yourself or your people to go misnamed. This has been hitting me in the head all week since I've started reading this a couple of weeks ago. Don't allow yourself or your people to go misnamed. What does that mean? Don't put yourself in a position where you can be oblivious to the plans that God has for you. Don't isolate yourself off so much from his word or that place where you find yourself in prayer. Don't be so scared to the point that you're like, I don't want to know what his plans are for me. Don't do it. Don't let yourself have that other name. Care enough for your family and your closest friends to never allow them to sit in a place where they don't know what God's plans are for them. Meet with your wife, meet with your husband, meet with your kids, meet with that person on Wednesday mornings, whatever that looks like. Make sure that the people that you care about know that God has intentionally designed them for a reason and he's given them a specific purpose in life. That is their name. A name is an incredibly important thing. You know, it's something that I even see here, right? I don't have kids, but everyone my age is having more babies than they know what to do with. And so, like, I hear a lot about names. And sometimes I hear names and I go, whoa, that's a name. And you smile and you're like, it's a baby. But look, names are important, and I've learned that in my time here. And even out in the lobby, I hear this. Man, there are some crazy stories that I've heard. I had a student tell me a couple of weeks ago, and we were, she was talking about her middle name. And I was like, well, why is that your middle name? And she was like, well, my parents thought that they were going to lose me. And so when I actually was born and was healthy, they named me Hope. And I'm like, dang, that's beautiful. We have a volunteer and Amplify who had a family friend who was so important to him and to his being the type of man that he is now that he named his son after him. That's beautiful. We hear it all the time. That grandfather or grandma who you're praying that your kids are like, so you name them after that. That, that person, that's, that's beautiful whenever I look biblically at a name, it means something. It is aligned with someone's purpose. And I wonder if you think about your life with that amount of intentionality. This requires a couple of things from us, okay? This statement not to allow ourselves to be misnamed. And so I want to kind of walk through this very, very quickly as I'm running out of time, and that clock's going to turn red in a minute. What this means for me and this is just for my personal notes this week is that if i'm not going to allow myself to be misnames it means that i have to work to understand god well to know to know the purpose that he has given me that life's task that he has given me i first have to understand his character and what he says about himself and that means reading the book from beginning to end and soaking up every amount of information that i can about his personality and spending dedicated time in prayer to Him so that I can pick up on the nuances of His voice and the way that He speaks to me personally. We have to know God well to understand what He's going to call us to. And secondly, this requires that I understand myself really well. It means that it isn't selfish or prideful or or full of ego for me to know the way that I operate and where my red flags are and the things that I'm good at. It means that I've been given the tools to be Austin, not my boss, not my dad, but Austin. And that's exactly who God has called me to be. And what a fantastic gift that is, that he has called me to be me and you to be you. Because he's gifted you to do something entirely different than he's gifted me something to do. So as we're kind of closing this idea, I want to leave you with something that's been really important for me. It's 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 been it's been something that's been working on me, honestly, for a couple of years. If you know me well, you know that my favorite author of all time, his name is Robert Green, and he both wrote this book called Mastery. And I love this book. I have a copy in my office that is basically torn up because I've written too much of it, you know. And it's one of those weird things where like I don't think he's a believer, but he's gotten so close to this idea. This 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 idea that God puts in Luke chapter one that you're like, man, it is just insane how how close we are to this. Like I need you to be the type of person that can equate this to the Bible. And in this book, he talks about this life's task that I've been talking a lot about. And I want you to think about this week in reference to your own life, because I believe it's a very godly idea. It says this at your birth a seed is planted, that seed is your uniqueness. I want you to grow and transform yourself and flower into its full potential. It has a natural assertive energy to it and your life's task is to bring that seed to flower to express your uniqueness through your work. You have a destiny to fulfill. The stronger you feel and maintain it, the greater your chance of fulfilling this life's task and achieving mastery. Don't take your story for granted. That's what I'm trying to say. Because God isn't taking He's been thinking about it long before the pen actually went on the paper. He's got something important for you and has something very important for the people that you love the most. Make sure that you are helping them along that journey. Make sure that you are looking forward in your journey. Because your job here is important. He's gifted you for a reason. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this time that we get to spend together each week. God, thank you for everyone in the room. God, you very individually gifted them. There are things, there are, there are people in this room who are so good at things that I, I don't even understand. Thank you for that. God, thank you for our weaknesses, the places where we are not the most strong, because we know out of that, you provide community. You've built us to work together in this. In this beautiful design where we are good at different things and we are meant to do life together, thank you for that, God. God, I pray that you would give us this passion, this this drive to know people well around us, whether that's our spouses or our children or our friends. And to want to watch them grow stronger in you, grow stronger in those gifts that you have given them, God. Because we know, like John, you've created them intentionally. God, bless the next month that we spend in this room as we dig into the book of Luke and look at John the Baptist. God, I pray that you would be glorified in what we do here on stage, that you would be worshiped well in this room. God, thank you for this time we get to spend together each week. We love you and praise you. Amen. Amen. Now, guys, before we get up, I do need you to know, most of the of of my life in the back, okay? There are these red uh, envelopes out there. Next week, we will not be in the buildings. Many of you know if you're a part of our community, next week is our Hope 4 weekend, which means that we are off-site at several different sites working in the community around us. So, two things you need to know. Number one, you can still sign up for Hope 4 to go serve at one of those sites. We would love for you to do that. I will be at Crossroads Step 2, so sign up for that one. Uh, secondly, if you want to give towards Hope 4. You can grab one of these red envelopes in the lobby and put it in that Hope 4 box. I'll see you (laughs) in two weeks. Have a great week.